The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abuel Samad. It's been a very busy uh, period of a few weeks, days. <laughs> oh, it's all Dan's fault. It's all totally my fault. <laughs> um, I got super disappointed. Dan blew me off a couple of times. and I did. Well, you know, so here's what happens. Right? You work for an advertising agency in the creative side of things, and they say, we want this new, new creative. Come up with new ideas. And we're going to test them. <laughs> we test them, and then they don't work. Now what? Well, first you have to like smother your campaign with its pillow, which sucks because everybody likes it, but it doesn't work. So that's where we're at. Um, <laughs> it's been been a little bit stressful, but anyway, uh, we can we can talk about what we're driving first, and then we'll get into other topics. Um, and Sam, it seems like you're determined to try every flavor of the Volkswagen MQB platform. I'm working on it. Uh, I, I have actually over the past uh, t- past week, I've driven uh, many of them. Um, but uh, in particular, uh, we'll start off with uh, VW's two new SUVs. Um, you know, over the past year, they've launched uh, a pair of new SUVs, a small one, uh, compact one, uh, the second generation Tiguan, and the large one, the Atlas. And I've had both of them back to back. And both of them, interestingly enough, are derived from the MQB platform, which gives you an interesting uh, indication of how flexible that architecture is, you know, that, you know, that it can span such a a wide variety of vehicles, you know, at the low end, uh, VW also uses the MQB for the new Polo, and then it stretches all the way up to the Atlas at the high end. And then, you know, the Golf and the Jetta and everything else in between is also on this platform. So this is their their front wheel drive modular, you know, the transverse engine modular platform um, that covers all these different vehicles. They have a what two platforms, MQB and MLB or basically. Yeah. It's, it's, it's essentially coming down to that. So MLB is the, the rear drive um, longitudinal engine, longitudinal powertrain platform. So that's the one that's being used for uh, like the uh, Audis. And actually I think there's three, cause I think, I I don't think like the 
the front end, you know, the the front drive Audis, I think I don't think are coming off MLB. I think MLB is for like the premium models, like the the Panamera, uh, the Cayenne, uh, and then you know things like the Q7 uh, and the uh, and the Touareg. I think are all off the MLB platform, and I think there's another one in between. Um, so. You know, and and Ford is actually following a similar a similar approach. You know, they they're they're going to five different uh, mod, you know flexible architectures: a front drive transverse engine unibody, longitudinal engine uh, unibody, the body on frame for the trucks, um, the um, cargo van. You know, the, the the cargo van unibody cargo van platform for the Transit and Transit Connect and their derivatives, and then the uh, electric vehicle platform, uh, which will be for all the EVs. But what's, you know, this time for the for the Tiguan, you know, VW did something a little different. The, the first generation Tiguan did OK, but it wasn't a huge success in North America. And so this time around, when they re- finally redeveloped the Tiguan, you know, the original one was around for 10 years when they finally redesigned it. They did two different versions of it. You know, they've got the standard one, which is what's available in the rest of the world. And it's only about two inches longer than the the first generation one. And then uh, they've got a long wheelbase version. You know, and if you've been following what car makers tend to do in China, where a lot of Chinese customers, you know, buy cars and then like to have a driver drive them around. So they they often uh, prefer long wheelbase versions So because they're sitting in the back seat. They want the extra leg room. That's what this Tiguan uh, that we have is like. So in North America, we only get the long wheelbase Tiguan, uh, which elsewhere is called the Tiguan Limited. Oh, wait, or, I no, that, so, the Tiguan Limited is actually the old one. Right, right. The, it's the Tiguan Allspace uh, is uh, what they Allspace. call, yeah, the one that we get. Um, and, you know, it's a 109.8 inch wheelbase. Um, and, you know, when you compare it to the standard Tiguan, it looks, so, you know, the proportions don't look quite right because it's got these long rear doors. So it looks a little funky. Um, but if you're not comparing it, though, it looks OK. Yeah, it's okay, but I think the the real problem is when you get inside it. Um, and I'm I'm not quite sure why this is. I think it might have to do with the way it's proportioned. You know where the firewall is relative to the front axle, because it seems like when you get inside this one, the steering column is is at an unusually steep angle, and so the the steering wheel you know, is unusually like that. Well, the instrument cluster and the steering wheel are unusually high when you first get in the vehicle, the default position. And, you know, the steering wheel is adjustable for uh, reach and, and, and rake. Uh, so you can drop it down. But the problem is if you drop it down to a more comfortable position, so when it's all the way up, it's a, it's also a kind of a weird angle. You know, it's more like a, you know, almost school bus, you know, yeah. it's not quite that extreme, but you know, it's kind of angled away from you when you drop it down to a more, normal driving position then it cuts off the top half of the gauges so it seems like kind of a uh amateur yeah you know and and i'm not sure why it is this way um so you know i could never really get quite comfortable in this thing and the the seats you know for a vw are actually kind of flat you know they're not they don't have a whole lot of lateral support they're kind of wide flat um and you know, typically, you know, one of the things about VWs that, you know, has always been a, a positive thing about VWs is they've, they've tended to have nicer, you know, except for the, the 
early years of the previous generation Jetta, they typically have had nicer interiors than most cars in their segment. You know, they tended to have a little more premium feel. And this one just doesn't. It feels kind of cheap, even though when you touch it, it was the SE. It was the mid-level trim. Yeah. Uh, So it wasn't even the base level. Um, You know, and it's not, you know, it wasn't all hard plastics or anything. It was soft touch plastics on the dash, but it's just something about the way it was executed, you know, sharp edges, um, you know, just the contours of of the dashboard. I don't know. It just didn't feel as premium as I'm used to in a Volkswagen. Um, And then the other thing is the powertrain in this one. Um, it's Volkswagen's two liter TSI engine, which is, you know, their their tur- four cylinder turbocharged uh, gasoline engine. Um, but it, <laughs> this is, you know, this basically the same engine that you can find in a Golf R or in an Atlas or any number of other Volkswagen vehicles, you know, two liters. In most for most vehicles, a two liter turbocharged four cylinder is usually in the neighborhood of 240 to 250 horsepower. 200. For some reason, <laughs> uh, no, not even that. 184. Oh, that's the one. I think that's the one that's in the the, the last Beetle I drove. I think had uh, could be maybe not. Yeah, I think I, I think you're I think you're right. Or pretty close to it. it I mean, VW funny. has a whole a whole range of different power power outputs for this engine, and you know, it just it feels kind of weak. Um, yeah. You know, with all wheel drive, you know, this thing's about 3,500 pounds. Um, you know, it just it didn't feel good. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a great place to spend time. Um, you know, it's roomy. It's got lots of room. Um, you know, the standard setup is two row. Uh, they do offer it with an optional uh, third row, you know, which is kind of a mini third row. Yeah, that seems kind of like uh, it, and there's it seems like automakers have gotten away from that, too, where they had been doing the midsize uh, crossovers or SUVs with that sort of teeny little occasional use third row and now it's almost come back a little bit where i was surprised to find that they're doing that with with the tiguan like it just doesn't seem like a big enough vehicle even with the the larger wheelbase but i guess if you're only going to use it on a an occasional basis it's not a big deal yeah i mean the one i had didn't have the third row so that's you know that's fine you know means you have a nice huge cargo area in the back um the second row seating has lots of leg room you know it feels very spacious um you know and so you know it was it was fine in that in that respect um you know it has vw's new corporate uh eight inch touchscreen head unit you know it's got rotary knobs for volume and and uh tuning uh supports android auto and carplay you know it's a it's a decent enough interface you know nothing nothing objectionable you know it was, the screen was easy to see in all lighting conditions so that was good um you know but it's just you know, kind of the, the driving experience was just really underwhelming for a Volkswagen. Um, you know, it, and, you know, the my review that I put on Forbes, you know, I, I described it as too much Tiguan, not enough Volkswagen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, you know, the, the other one, you know, once I was done with the Tiguan, I swapped that for uh, the Atlas, which is their new larger SUV, which sort of but sort of indirectly replaces the Tuareg in the US VW lineup though. So the new Tuareg is no longer available here in North America. Um you know cuz that that was always a more premium vehicle. Yeah, the Tuareg was like for the people in the know they it was their way to get a, a Cayenne with sort of some different trimming 
And if you bought it as just a regular Volkswagen SUV, you were probably sorely disappointed <laughs> yeah. at one point in your ownership. Or not. It just like that, that, like you said, it was sort of more premium. It was complex. It was, you know, expensive, uh, especially for a Volkswagen. And it just, it was a lot, a lot of car, not, not quite the right thing. Uh, the the Atlas they kind of did the same thing that they did with the the Passat a few years ago. They made it much sort of simpler, uh, mm-hmm. sort of like more less expensive to build, but and buy, but more in line with I think what the volume buyers of the market are looking for too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I mean, it's it's right in the the heart of the midsize market. You know, similar in size to a Honda Pilot, uh, Toyota Highlander, Ford Explorer. You know, right right in with all of those styling uh, directly from a Grand Cherokee. <laughs> yeah, which is is not a bad thing. You know, I actually I like the way the Atlas looks. It I mean, looks it's a great. good look. Yeah, it's a great looking vehicle. You know, it's got kind of that you know brawny SUV look. You know, it looks like it could go anywhere, even if can't necessarily you know follow a grand cherokee they should everywhere send, but right they should send a box of chocolates or something to ralph Gilles over at fca yeah <laughs> um yeah i mean you know it does have you know multiple uh drive modes uh so i mean there's an off-road mode that's got hill descent control and things like that so i mean you know i think it could handle some some basic off-roading you know i mean if you're you know, just have to go, you know, down a little bit of a trail to get your to get to your cabin or something like that. You know, you're not going to take it to Moab or anything like that. But, you know, for, for basic stuff, it, it should be fine. Um, you know, and even though it's on the MQB platform, you would never guess that it's in any way related to the to the Tiguan. You know, it's it's much bigger. It's much more Volkswagen like inside. Um, you know, it obviously it's. It, it, very comfortable. Yeah. Uh, Tony Swan and I drove it to Wisconsin for the uh, the Mama Spring Rally. Mama is the Midwest Automotive Media Association, and they have a, a big event every spring. They have two, one in the spring, one in the fall. The, the Spring Rally is at Road America uh, in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. And man, if you if you have never been to Road America, you got to go there sometime. It's it's an amazing track. Um, but uh, you know, and they, you know, the all a, a whole bunch of automakers bring vehicles out there, and all the members come out. You know, and it, it's about ninety different vehicles, and we had spent a day and a half, you know, jumping around from one vehicle to another. And we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, afterwards. But um, you know, so you know, it's about a four hundred mile drive, uh, almost four hundred mile drive from here, and you know. The Atlas was so much more comfortable to to ride in for extended periods. Seats seats are much more supportive than the ones in the Tiguan. Um, the The one I had, uh, the one I have, has the uh, the three point six liter VR six, which is their narrow angle six cylinder engine, um, and uh, it's about uh, what two hundred and ninety two horsepower, I think, or two hundred and seventy eight horsepower. Um, it's got it's got plenty of grunt. Yeah, uh, and what, what trim level was it? It was also an SE, so it was the SE. SE with with the um, technology package, um, okay. and uh, so that was uh, what, what did it bring up about thirty six, thirty seven thousand dollars, something like that. Uh, this was forty one. Forty one. Okay, so it had some options. Yeah, so it, it had some. You know, it had you know the driver assist stuff. It had adaptive cruise control and uh, lane keeping system, um, and uh, no sunroof. Uh, but you know, it had. Uh, 
you know, had, had multi-zone climate control. And, and actually one thing, both of these, both the Tiguan and the Atlas both had, the last time I drove a VW a couple of years ago, uh, which was uh, the e-Golf, um, that one at that time didn't have any USB ports in it. It had one right. port with a, a proprietary Volkswagen connector that had an iPhone uh, adapter on it. Uh, and, but this one, you know, the, the Tiguan and the uh, Atlas both have four USB ports, two in the front row, two in the second row. Yeah, all um, of a sudden, Volkswagen started deciding to uh, put USBs in their car after being like, no, you can't have them. Yeah. So that's that's a good thing. So, you know, it doesn't matter what what uh, mobile, mobile devices you're using. You can plug them in and, and get a charge off them, get connected. Um, it has the same uh, same audio head unit. Um, uh, so two, 276 horsepower from the 3.6. Right. And it's, uh, so but, what's funny is that well, A, it's got the, you were talking about that two liter turbo in, in the Tiguan. Well, here in the Atlas, it's, it's a more powerful version. It's 235 horsepower. Yeah. What, which, you know, even that would probably be acceptable in a front wheel drive Atlas. Yeah. And what's, what's interesting to me is it's got that engine has 258 pound feet of torque at, you know, like the way that the torque curve of that particular Volkswagen engine goes, is it's pretty flat. So you get boost before 2000. I mean, you get, get peak torque before 2000. It just sticks around. Um, yeah. It's because, a typical, you know, uh, turbo direct injection engine. Yeah. Turbos are magic. Um, whereas the, uh, the VR six, well, tur- when you come, they're magic when you combine them with direct injection. Yes, that's, that's true. Cause they, they get, um, well, you can run higher compression, which helps and just yeah. all kinds of fancy tricks. Um, the the VR6 has just a little bit more. It's only got 266 pound-feet of torque, um, which, like, the difference between 258 and 266, no. <laughs> you can't it's not, feel it's that. Not, it's, not, it's not a lot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a, a four-cylinder Atlas would probably be fine. Um, I do think, though, the, the difference in horsepower, you will notice that, like, on ramps and stuff like that. I think that, yeah. that will pay off, but... Uh, I mean, I'd prefer to have the VR6 just because I've loved that engine since it came out in the 90s because it's just the coolest thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's something that nobody else but Volkswagen builds. Right. You can't well, I get mean, them anywhere. made like what narrow angle engines back in the day. But yeah, no, nobody. Yeah. I mean, that was back in the, the 30s or 40s, I think. Yeah. And so they don't count. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, if, I you, mean, if you can find if you can find one, it's going to cost you a whole hell of a lot more money than one of these. Right. And you may want to haul it with the Volkswagen, but you don't want to put it in the Volkswagen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was uh, I'm sure it just, you know, felt like a big SUV or a big crossover or whatever. I don't I'm not. I, they call them SUVs, but we all know that they're not really SUVs. Yeah, it's a crossover. Um, you know, and they've they've really caught on. I see uh, more and more of them around here in the the Boston area. And if Boston knows anything, it knows premium SUVs. So, uh, yeah, I'm starting to see a lot more of them. Apparently, it has the the charms to 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 woo buyers. Yeah, and you know it it's all you know it's roomy as well. Um, even the the third row seat. Uh, you know, I climbed in the third row, and you know I had headroom to clear you know i had clearance for my head and clearance for my knees um the second row seats you can slide them back and forth almost eight inches um so if you're only if you only got two rows you can push them all the way back and 
and you know get lots and lots of room. But even when you push them all the way forward, you know adults can you know three adults can sit across the second row without any problem. Um, you know, and then a couple more in the back in the back seat in the third row. So you know it's it's a very usable three row utility. Yeah, and the the thing that I guess sort of is telling that they really don't want you to use it as an SUV is it's, it's towing capacity is it's about 5,000 pounds. Um, yeah. Which, but you know, that's actually not much different from most other utilities in this class, you know, a Highlander or pilot, you know, they're, they're all in that, in that same range. That's true. And, you uh, know, I guess that's not that the, bad. The Grand Cherokee is really about the only one that, that goes much above that. Yeah. And it doesn't honestly with the, with the Pentastar, it's like 6,500 or something. And you're, you're pushing it <laughs> at that point. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, if, if you, if you want to tow in a, in a utility of this size, you know, you want to get, uh, a Hemi, uh, Grand Cherokee that'll tow about 8,000 pounds, I think. Yeah. And it will use all the gas. Yep. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so was this your first, this is, sounds like this was your first experience with, uh, both the Atlas and the Tiguan and, and like, uh, at least for an extended drive. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't driven either one of these before. I mean, the last time I drove you know, Tiguan was uh, like about nine years ago. Um, and that was, you know, when the first generation one first originally came out. Uh, and then I haven't driven one since. Um, and as I recall, I wasn't hugely fond of that, the original Tiguan either. Um, but this one, you know, for, it was for different reasons that I wasn't terribly fond of it. Um, it, it was just underwhelming in a lot of ways, but the Atlas, I was actually really impressed with, you know, and you can get the Atlas starting at about 31 grand, uh, for the four cylinder front drive one. And then the one I had was just shy of 42, you know, it was the R line, uh, which has, has all the, all the goodies in there. Uh, there's also an SEL premium. So I think totally maxed out. I think you can get it up to around 45, That's which again, very well priced. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's competitive with the, with the rest of the segment. So uh, it's, it's much more competitive than the Tuareg ever was. Yeah. Well, and uh, honestly, the, the Tiguan, the original version of that part of the issue was they just made it too, too expensive. It was a golf. <laughs> you yeah. You're like, yeah, it's kind of tight. It was a, tall, a tall golf. Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of tight. It's a little expensive. It's not, uh, I don't know. I, I remember being underwhelmed by that as well. Like it drove fine. It was just, you know, there wasn't a whole lot to excite you about it. Um, didn't have that Volkswagen-ness. Um, I'm curious as to why the two different versions of the same thing are that, that sort of different. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, the, you know, there's, there's, they've clearly changed a lot of things between these two. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm not entirely sure, you know, um, you know, how they managed to like some of the things like the steering column position, for example, you know, uh, I'm not quite sure why the Tiguan has such a weird configuration compared to the Atlas. I mean, the Atlas feels much more normal. The, and the other thing that was really strange, the Tiguan, you know, like so many cars today, you know, has a flat bottom steering wheel which, you know, is a, a thing from race cars. You know, they do that in race cars because the steering column is usually very low, you know, and you've got, uh, you don't have a whole lot, you know, you usually have big side bolsters on and on the racing seats. And so you need that extra clearance to just to get in and out. The steering wheel in the Tiguan is so high up that, you know, it's just, it looks ridiculous to have a flat bottom steering wheel in there. Yeah, I gotta say, I don't, I don't like the flat bottom steering wheels in pretty much anything because it's, 
it, it's hard to juggle. You know, it's got that that weird sh- inconsistent shape. Um, so in a race car where you have fast steering and you're not doing four turns lock to lock, it's a little different. Yeah, um, it, it all depends on the context. Yeah. But on like a, la- a last week, I, you know, I, I drove some cars with flat bottom steering wheels where it was perfectly normal. I and we will get to that because I <laughs> want to hear more about that. Um, all right. So my, while you were in Volkswagen land, I uh, I drove a proper SUV. Uh, I had a Wrangler J oh the, the JL Jeep Wrangler Unlimited. Um, and it was in Sahara trim. And so this vehicle gets everybody very excited. Uh, the Wrangler is the, an American institution and the, for a, a while looking at the JL, I was kind of underwhelmed, I guess, in the, the changes like, Oh, they didn't really change that much. No, they changed a lot. They just did a really, really good job of being consistent. Uh, the, the front styling, I think is the thing that will tell the tale the most, you know, the headlights are a little bit more res- recessed into their nacelles now. And there's a bend in the grill um, that wasn't there before that that was sort of the biggest conversation point uh, was that kink in the grill. Everything else, you know, it looks like a Wrangler. Uh, there's there's a deeper. Character. There's the fender vents, too. Yeah. The fender vents are, is another way to, to, to look. Um, it's it's good. It's really, really, really good. They have kept the Wranglerness. Uh, they have refined it quite a bit where. It goes down the road in a, I guess, as as a as refined way as it can for what it is. It's never going to be something different than a slightly stiff, anachronistic, hard to get into and out of kind of thing. You know, that's what it's supposed to be. Um, and those those things are features. They're not bugs. But in, I guess, general usage. They're, they are bugs. You know, I, I, I think about the folks who purchase a Wrangler and there's, there's some that want those things and legitimately want it to be a Wrangler. There's a large portion of buyers that really just want the image, I think, and the, the cool factor, right? It's a cool car. People like it. Um, yeah. People like Casey Liss. <laughs> but if you had to live with them, <laughs> which is the same problem with the Wrangler. Uh, I mean, it's, you have to, you have to really carefully consider your priorities because it, it's, it's a little tough to live with. And you know, this is the four door Wrangler. So you've got, uh, yeah, buyers. but you know, on the, on the other hand, it also offers a bunch of stuff that no other vehicle currently available on the market offers. Yeah. Like, the ability to pop all the doors off, pop the roof off, you know, and you know, be more open air than anything else available. Sure. I mean, that has its allure, I suppose. It's you're not going to do that like without some work and a good set of Torx bits. Um, but those come in a, in a kit in the glove box. Oh, do they? I, there was, yeah, there or at was... least the, the last the last uh, Wrangler I drove about a year or so ago, um, there, there was a, a toolkit in the glove box uh, that had all the uh, the Torx drivers that you need to take all the pieces off. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, there was there was a little pouch in the center console. It was cold and rainy here. Or maybe so maybe it was in the center console. I can't remember. Um, well, I mean, <laughs> press car. I'm surprised it was still in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it. You know, the four-door Wrangler has that connotation of like, oh, you could use this as your your 
badass family SUV. It's almost like a, a half price G wagon in that sense, right? Like, you know, it's going to have some of that, that sort of roughness around the edges. Well, of course, you know, the, the CJ, you know, was in many ways, the inspiration for the G wagon anyway, you know, right. so the, I mean the, the Jeep, you know, the, the, the G wagon was designed as a military off-road utility vehicle. And, you know, the, you know, the, the definitive version of that is the, the original, uh, you know, military Jeep, you know, or, you know, and it's civilian forms, the various CJs up until they rebadged it as the Wrangler. I mean, that, that spawned, you know, the Land Rover, it spawned, um, you know, Toyota's, uh, Land Cruisers, uh, you know, countless other, you know, off-road type vehicles. So, you know, all of those vehicles owe their existence to the, to the Jeep. Yeah, and I, I can see the charm. I can see the allure. What I can't see is actually trying to f- just jam this thing into your life without seriously understanding what it means. You know, I, I, so I did this on purpose, and I apologize to my family, but we had a we <laughs> we went down um, about a hundred miles away. We went down and met some family for Memorial Day weekend, and so I had both kids who are ten and twelve. And the dog jammed in between them. And then, you know, me and my wife in the front. So we had all, all the seating positions filled. And the cargo space is good. It's a nice square box behind that second row. Uh, and we, it wasn't, we weren't going f- you know, for o- overnights or anything like that. So it was kind of lightly loaded. But it gets to be a bit much uh, taking this on a, on a jaunt like that with it sort of fully loaded and you're just going to go on like a highway ride or something. It, it's really not in its element there, like where people want an SUV or a crossover to, to perform well. It, the, the, the Wrangler doesn't because it's not supposed to. So, it, you know, using it in that context, it's like, it's this fish out of water thing. And I just like, I feel like it's, it's popularity is almost set up to bite it in the end because you know, it's going to be used in the wrong situation. Maybe I'm overthinking it and people are just going to put the top down, drive around town and and love it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very much a lifestyle vehicle. Um, you know, and I I actually had a chance to drive one, you know, take a short drive in one last week as well. Uh, when I was at the rally, um, you know, and if it fits your lifestyle, I think, you know, it can be a great choice, but I, I agree, you do have to consider very carefully before you buy something like this. You know, Casey, you know, has talked about getting a Wrangler to replace his BMW, you know, but his <laughs> his, commu- his commute is like two and a half miles. Yeah, well, I told him to get a you bicycle. Know, he, yeah, would, which is probably, you know, would make more sense. But, you know, then again, you know, if you own a BMW 3 Series, you know, and you're thinking about a Wrangler, you know, you, you would never do something as rational as ride a bike. So, uh, right, bikers you know, are obstacles. I, uh, what's that? Bikers are obstacles. That's- yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think that, you know, the, if, if it's, if it's something that fits your, your lifestyle, you know, I think it's, if you're going to be regularly taking hundred mile trips, get a Grand Cherokee, right. you know, if you want a Jeep, you, you don't want, you don't want a Wrangler, but you know, if you, if most of your driving is shorter trips around town and, you know, really, you know, if you do plan to go off-roading, you know, if you, you know, if you've got some sand dunes somewhere or you're going to go out to Moab a couple times a year, like one of my neighbors, you know, he's got a, he's got a big RV and he's got a, a big old, uh, he's got a CJ, an old CJ that, you know, is all lifted up and, you know, modified, you know, and he tows that thing with, with the Winnebago out to Utah a couple times a year and, you know, goes to other places, you know, 
that's that's what this thing is built for um you know if you you know if you're going to drive on the beach you know it's great for that you know the the tiny you know the almost non-existent overhangs on this thing mean you've got crazy you know approach and departure angles which is what you need for off-roading it's got plenty of ground clearance you know so uh you're not gonna uh you know bottom it out so you know that's that's what it's for but you know and Apparently, there's enough people, you know, a significant proportion of the population that seems to think it's a it's a good fit in their lifestyle. I'm not one of those people. Yeah. But, you know, if if it works for you, go for it. Well, you know? I mean, I think the promise of a Wrangler is that it's truly ready for anything. And that may or may not be true. But uh, well, I mean, it, it can handle anything. How? how well and how refined it handles it right. is an, is an entirely different story. I mean, you know, it, it, you know, it handled your hundred mile drive. Yeah. Well, that, and that's what I was going to say. It, it absolutely can do it. Um, it. It's just not, you know, it's, it's, and this was just the soft top too. I think with the hard top, it's a little bit quieter inside, which makes it a little nicer for that sort of thing. Uh, I still keep waiting for them to make, like a, an overland version or something, you know, like a, with a little bit more sound editing, a little bit more luxury. Um, and they, they haven't yet. And I'm, I'm surprised that they haven't given Jeep's sort of ability to sort of mine every last. Well, I mean, you know, Jeep's got a big enough lineup now. I mean, you know, it was yeah. one thing when you only had the Wrangler, you know, and the chair and the original Cherokee, you know, now, you know, you've got the grand Cherokee, you've got the compass, you've got the, the renegade, um, you know, and soon probably, you know, uh, something bigger than the Grand Cherokee. There's enough other options, although, you know, at some point they may well do something like the like the Overland, um, you know, and I think, you know, for some people, you know, that that'd be the right choice. You know, and the thing is, I say, if you if you are going to go off road, you know, nothing is going to handle as much stuff as a Wrangler will. Oh, yeah. I have no I was really, really impressed with this. I have no complaints about the vehicle itself. It was more of like just examining sort of how it's used versus how you think it's going to be used, you know, right? Uh, it, and again, it did everything with no complaints. It was, it just is what it is. And you have to understand what it is. Uh, you know, it'll, it'll do 90 miles an hour, no complaints. The, the, the Pedestar and the eight-speed automatic are real happy to do that for you. Uh, <laughs> Um, and it, it returned to almost 24 miles per gallon in that highway, John. It was like 23.5 or 20. Uh, like that, That's better bit. than the Atlas did. Yeah, the Atlas it, is only 22. It, and it has stop start um, to save fuel in, in sort of around town driving. Every, everything is really well done. The materials are great. The design is fantastic. It's really well thought out. It's it. It is, and you can still fold down the windshield. Yeah, um, it's a it's an impressive vehicle. FCA knows how important it is to them, and they did an excellent job redesigning the Wrangler and keeping the flavor where it is. Very, it's noticeably refined compared to the JK, which, when, especially when the JK first came out, it had some rough edges. Uh, they've left the right amount of of roughness in here and just cleaned everything else up. It's, it's a really, really good Wrangler. Don't get me wrong. I have no complaints about it. And I, right. I and, and you sure. know, they've, they've also done some stuff, you know, to, to improve it in other ways as well. Like, you know, removing the doors, it's now a lot easier to remove the doors than it was before. You know, and there's just, there's one connector, you know, when you take the doors off, there's one connector to unplug, you know, like for the power windows and mirrors 
or power windows and, and locks and stuff like that. Um, you know, they, they've made, they've simplified a lot of those things, you know, so if you want to use these, these other capabilities it has, you know, then, um, it, you know, it's got you covered. Yeah. And Plus, it, you know, it has more Easter eggs than in it than any other car on the market. You know, I think. And I didn't find a ton. I found more Easter eggs, I think in the, uh, the renegade, but I guess I was looking for them too. And the, the renegade has kind of an identity crisis. It's like, no, really, I'm a, I'm a Jeep. I'm a Jeep. Really, I am. Um, I think that the most brilliant thing about the JL is the way that they've managed to update it for uh, crash safety standards and still maintain that cheapness. Everybody was worried about that. And, you know, it does have an integral kind of roll cage now that, that there's, there's a, a structure that's there regardless of what you do with the tops. And well, that was there before. Yeah. It, it's just like, it's beefier now. And it's just, it, it's almost like more sort of more integrated, more, more part of the car. It's got a little bit more of a, I guess an exoskeleton feel to it. I don't know. Um, and the, the fold down windshield, uh, the way it's like a door where there's two layers to it. And so you fold down the windshield and there's still that frame there. I just, I, I was really impressed with that. And maybe, maybe I didn't spend enough time with the JK to just go, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's just a very good update of what was already there. But, um, well, well, from the, from the brief drive I had, you know, it, it was definitely way more refined than the J the last JK I drove. And, you know, I'm, I'm just, as, as you're talking, I'm looking through the, uh, the Jeep website. Um, and, uh, I noticed the, uh, the subwoofer in the back is yep. mounted in the floor of the cargo area and it's got the, the seven bar grill embossed in the, the speaker grill. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do a lot of sort of interesting little touches like that. And I mean, they, they know their market. Uh, yeah. the, the, the biggest sort of complaint, I guess I can like actual complaint I can work up about it is that it equipped this way as the Sahara. Without They're not a, inexpensive. <laughs> without a hard top. So this is just a soft top. It was the Sunrider top, which is nice. You know, it's easy to use. You can fold back the first couple, you know, seating positions worth. And then you have to go through the the trouble of actually folding it down otherwise. Um, it's $48,000. Like, yeah, it's, that's a lot it's of pricey. And I, I mean, at least it hangs on to its value, but that's a lot of dough for a Jeep. It's, I mean, yep. it's, it's like a half price G wagon, but it's, it's a lot of money. For <laughs> well, I mean, if you look at it from that perspective, then yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a great value. We'll call it a J wagon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I can't, what else can you do, but just say, you know, the Jeep continues to be an amazing juggernaut and uh, kind of leave it at that. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, so, all right. Well, you had mentioned that you were driving some fancy flat bottom steering wheel cars. So, uh, why don't we talk about the Mama Spring Rally? We teased it enough. We should just talk about it. Yeah. So um, Tony Swan and I drove out there together. Um, and Tony, uh, ex of uh, Car and Driver and Motor Trend and many other publications over the years. Um, you know, I've, I've been reading Tony's work for <clears throat> way too many years. Um, and uh, when we, we got out there for the, the rally, you know, some, some really impressive collection of cars available. And, you know, some of them, you know, probably about uh, 25 or 30 of them were available to drive on the track at Road America. And the rest were were set up just for street drives on a loop around the outside of the track. Um, two, of the, two of the cars that I drove on the track 
um, were interesting. And, and, you know, our, our friend Casey will be uh, interested to, to hear this because in addition to the Wrangler, you know, the other car that he's expressed interest in, even though I've suggested to him that he would be better off with a Civic Type R, is the, uh, the VW Golf R. And VW had both the Golf R and the GTI uh, on hand at, uh, at the, the rally. And I actually drove the two of them back to back, uh, on the track, you know, took a lap in each one of them. And, you know, I like the GTI a lot better than the golf R. I, I can understand that. I mean, the golf R definitely has the additional power and probably a little bit more handling, uh, sharpness, but I don't think it's worth it. I think the GTI yeah, well, is a better it's, all-rounder. Yeah, I mean, the, the Golf R has all-wheel drive. Uh, you know, both of them were manual transmissions. Um, the, the, the R has all-wheel drive. It's got more power. It's 292 horsepower, I think, versus like 220 in the GTI. Um, but, you know, the, the Golf R, you know, it's heavier, but it felt so buttoned down, you know, that, it, you know, it, it just kind of, you know, just went effortlessly wherever I pointed it. Um, you know, and yeah, we, you know, they didn't record lap times or anything. You know, we, we were encouraged to stay below our limits, you know, so we didn't break anything. Um, but it, it just didn't feel as much fun to drive. Whereas the GTI, you know, you take that thing out on the track and you can fling it around. It's, it felt much more, it felt more responsive. You know, um, you could, you could feel it moving around a little bit under you and, you know, you could, you could play with it, you know, at, you know, at, as you approached its limits, you know, without still without getting into trouble. And it just, it felt more alive. Um, and, you know, if, if Casey's, you know, still considering one of these, I would I would definitely recommend that he take a look at the GTI as an alternative to the Golf R. Even though it is front wheel drive, it was still a blast to drive. Uh, you know, mo- modern higher powered front wheel drive cars are so much better than they were, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago that, you know, I, I used to refer to front wheel drive cars as wrong wheel drive. Um, yeah. But, you know. Modern, good, you know, modern front-wheel drive cars, you know, can be just as good as a rear-drive car if it's if they're done right. You sound and like a I Lotus think, press release around 1990. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. <laughs> this, um, this, is the, this is Sam the M100 version of Sam. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, having having done some work on that car, you know, I, I I'm familiar with that. Uh, but yeah, no, I I think. You know, and it's it's so much better priced. And, you know, what I've said in the past about, you know, uh, VWs being better cars to to drive than to own. um, I'm not so sure that's even valid anymore because, you know, now VW's got a six year, 72,000 mile bumper to bumper warranty. So at least for the first six years, you know, whatever goes wrong you know, you're, you're going to be covered. So I don't think you even really need to worry about, you know, kind of the, the foibles of VW ownership that have afflicted uh, my family in, in the, you know, over the past 15 years. Uh, so, you know, I, I'd say, you know, it's definitely worth taking a look at one of those. Well, yeah. I mean, the one thing that I have found that to sort of temper that enthusiasm for the warranty is uh dealer treachery that will Put it, sort of push those actual issues off. They seem to not want to really address things unless they really have to. 
sometimes from some reports that I've gotten. And it's not just Volkswagen. It's just, just yeah. I mean, that, that, you know, that sort of thing applies to yeah. dealers of any brand, you know, and that's going to vary depending on where you are. And you know, sometimes, you know, you may just have to look at, you know, finding a different dealer to, to work with. Um, you know, certainly, you know, if, if you're in a, in a major urban area that you probably got a choice of multiple VW dealers to, to go with. Yeah. And, you know, it's worth, it's worth shopping around or, you know, or, or, you know, check with other owners and, you know, see what their experiences were because, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it, it's definitely worth, worth taking a look at. Um, I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. I, I listen, I love the GTI. I think it's one of those cars that gets recommended a lot by, uh, auto writers, you know, where we get to drive a lot of cars and we don't like the GTI as sort of like a a cult thing or like an in crowd kind of thing. It's, it gets recommended a lot. It's a genuinely good car. It's, it's, it's good at its mission where it's fun to drive. It's super practical. It's really well thought out. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's a good car (laughs) and it's hard to argue with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, one of the one car that I unfortunately did not get a chance to drive, but I did ride shotgun. Ride, though. Like I got a chance to ride shotgun yeah. along with a Ford Engineer in a Ford GT. Uh, my first my first time in the GT, and oh How man, was, it? was that something? It was unbelievable. It sounded awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know that that truly is a race car for the street. Uh, you know, and clearly, you know when. When Ford was putting together that program, you know, the whole goal was to take it to Le Mans and win, win the GT class. And they did that first time out. Um, you know, the, the whole car is clearly designed around the aerodynamics they needed to optimize for for a race car, uh, you know, that could run at, you know, 220 miles an hour down the Mulsanne Strait. Um, and, you know, Road America is about a four mile long track. And. This car um, was running from nine in the morning till four thirty in the afternoon, continuously, except for a one hour lunch break, and then every hour they had to pop into the the gas station to fill up the tank. Um, you know, but other than that, it was running continuously. You know, running just over two minute laps uh, around Road America, so you know, averaging about one hundred and twenty miles right. an hour. Yeah, when you told me that, I was like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> That's a 120 mile an hour average speed. I was like, I suck at yeah. math, but is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, that's and, good. and, and, um, you know, they, they ran 70 laps, you know, from morning till afternoon, um, without a problem, you know, all in the same set of tires, you know, all they had to do is just keep putting gas in it and, and they put lots of gas in it. Um, so over wait, the, so it, on the same set of tires, you're running that pace. So it, that almost says like it wasn't working that hard. Yeah. No. And, you know, because again, because, you know, it, it wasn't race conditions, you know, they weren't, they weren't timing it. Um, You know, they, they wanted to keep it running all day to, um, you know, to, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, everybody had a chance to ride in it that wanted to. And um, so, you know, they were clearly running it below its limits, but it was still running incredibly fast. Um, you know, and you know, you got to keep in mind that, you know, the production car with, you know, 650 horsepower, it's actually running probably about hundred to 120 horsepower more than the race car because, you know, the race cars, you know, in, at Le Mans, um, and, you know, other sports car series, they, they're subjected to uh, balance of performance because you have so many different 
configurations of cars with different engines. And so, you know, what they do is they make adjustments to the amount of boost they're allowed to run, uh, the amount of weight they carry, and a couple other things, uh, you know, in order to get them, you know, roughly comparable performance. And so GT Le Mans cars are running somewhere in the neighborhood of 530 to 550 horsepower typically. And so, you know, this production car has 100 horsepower more. Granted, it's you know heavier, you know, two people in it, and you know all the production equipment, uh, but still, you know, it's it's probably capable of of running nearly as fast as the race car, and it, it's just you know it was amazing, and we'll we'll include a, a video. Uh, my friend Harvey Briggs actually recorded video. He mounted a GoPro uh, on the roof for his lap, and so we've got a a, a video of a full lap of uh, Road America uh, in this car, and this was at the end of the day. Uh, and you can you can see from the uh, the time clock on there that it ran just over two minutes, uh, for about about two minutes and I think seven or eight seconds uh, for that lap. And uh, it's 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 a pretty amazing experience. If you ever get a chance to ride in a Ford GT, you, you got to go for it. Yeah, I, I can uh, see how that would be a thing that everyone must experience at least once, you know, just kind of. It's like if you're going to Disney World, you have to ride Space Mountain or whatever the thing is now. But when I went, it was Space Mountain. So. Yep. Um, let's see. What what else was there that was uh, particularly interesting? Oh, got to uh, try out the new BMW M5. Um, it was its first uh, first North American appearance. Uh, it's the brand new one, all-wheel drive, and um, I think close to 600 horsepower now. Uh, no manual transmission available anymore, but uh, uh, this thing, you know, it's just crazy acceleration, you know, sub sub three seconds, uh, zero to 60, um, you know, and it, it sounds so good. But see, the um, M5, the existence of the M- M550i, uh, I, I'm not sure if, again, it's like a GTI Golf R situation where the M5 is probably too much for most people. On the street, it probably is. But if you're going to take it to the track, which, you know, granted, no, almost nobody's going to do with an M5. But if you're going to take it to the track, it's probably a faster car on the track. Oh, I get, um, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Given the price differential. But, you know, you know, it was actually the most surprising car of the whole day for me. Nissan Versa. No, there was no Nissan Versa there. I think there should be a spec Versa series. Honestly, I think that would be a good use of that car. Why, why not? What could go wrong? <laughs> Figure eight. <laughs> yeah. No, um, the, the most surprising car of the day was the Lexus LC 500. You know, if you, I don't know if you remember when I, when I drove it last fall and I talked about it, you know, I, I described it, you know, as an amazing grand touring car. You know, kind of kind of in the vein of, you know, like the old Ferrari Daytonas. You know, it's not not the ultimate sports car, you know, not a hyper car like the GT, um, you know, or, or even an Acura NSX. But, you know, a great luxury Grand Tour, you know, very powerful, very fast, beautiful outside, beautiful inside, very comfortable. But I, we were all of us that drove that thing. We're so shocked at how good it was on the track, too. You know, it's the, that five liter V8, you know, the way they've done the exhaust, it sounds so good. Oh, yeah, that's a good and one. It, it, it for, you know, for a car that weighs two tons, it handles shockingly good as well. Um, you know, it's got big brakes, you know, so it hauls down speed, you know, as you're going into corners. Um, and it's just so much fun to drive. And I, I was amazed at how good it was on the track. Well, I think that that's 
you know, Lexus and Toyota meant it when they said, like, hey, we're going to make our cars, you know, more passion, more passionate to drive, you know, just, just more enjoyable for an enthusiast. And, you know, we all kind of shrugged and we're like, yeah, okay, uh, whatever. But I think they were actually really delivering and, and not just because of the, the LC or experience with the LC, but, you know, I've, I've had that same kind of surprise in just some regular Toyotas lately. Yeah. Even in a Camry. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess they, they really do mean it. And yeah, I mean that they, they, they clearly infused a lot of, uh, LFA DNA into the, the LC. And I, th- I mean, the LC looks so good too. Like that, I just, that is a really great car. And I, I don't know that it gets mentioned enough because it's been out for a little while too. And I just, you know, about a year. Yeah. I mean, that's, there's that normal, like sort of curve of, uh, it's like a bell curve, right. Of awareness. Maybe it hasn't come up to the sort of the top of the curve yet where other cars get up there a lot quicker. So, um, it's sort of still like a little bit of a undiscovered pearl. Yeah. Um, and speaking of, of pearls that are cars that might one day be pearls is the, uh, the Corolla, uh, hatchback, the new Corolla hatchback, um, which, you know, it's funny, I guess I wasn't at the, the press launch of it, but, uh, from people I talked to that were there, you know, they said Toyota was describing it as their new hot hatch. Uh, yeah. which, which, you know, might be stretching it a little bit. You know, I, I actually liked, you know, its predecessor, the, the IM, you know, which was based on the, the European market, uh, Oris. Yeah. Um, I liked, I kind of liked that car. The, the problem that that car had, um, was that it wasn't a golf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but it, so, and that was why I asked you the other day, I said, wait a second, is this just an update? Because uh, it doesn't look all that different than the IM, um, but it it's uh, the the TNGA platform. So yeah, it's it's, it's, new. it's the new yeah it's the new platform. You know, I mean when you when you look at it when you look at it up close, I mean there's no shared bodywork or anything. It's it's completely new, uh, which is good. You know, and it's it's good in a lot of ways. Dynamically, it's quite good. You know, the, the, the platform, the chassis is good, uh, handles and rides well. Um, I think, you know, the, the major issue with it is it, it just doesn't have quite enough, um, quite enough power, quite enough brakes. Um, you know, I think the, the best description, you know, from various people was, um, just that it, it, um, it needs a TRD package. You know, it needs to have TRD, take a look at it and, and have some fun with it. Because um, it's, you know, it, it just needs a little more oomph. You know, I think it's got the the 1.8 liter uh, four cylinder in there, which is fine. You know, um, you know, especially with the six speed manual, um, you know, but it's just, you know, it's not going to compete with a GTI, you know, or, you know, an ST focus ST or something like that. Yeah. I mean, Toyota, will, they'll, they'll generally do that, too. They'll sort of underwhelm on on engines and sort of make it up in other areas, either, you know, features or just, uh, the reputation for build quality, uh, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, you know, that if you, if you want that trouble free GTI and you, you are still worried, even with Volkswagen's warranty, like we were talking about, you could probably rest a lot easier if you get the Corolla hatch and it'll be sort of close to the same kind of experience 
ish. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the specs. It's a, it's actually a two liter four cylinder. Um, and it's 168 horsepower, which is kind of where it, it falls down. It doesn't, doesn't have quite enough to really compete with, you know, with the, the likes of the hotter hatches. And that's naturally aspirated. That's naturally aspirated. Yeah. Yeah. So like, that's, that's sort of the issue right there. Cause that's not bad power for a naturally aspirated two liter. That's, that's, it's a it's a little on the low side for you know contemporary two liters, but it's it's in the ballpark. Uh, but you know certainly more so for you know mainstream models, not so much for the performance models. Yeah. That's that's where it kind of falls down. Um, one thing that uh, was interesting, you know, you can get it with uh, a CVT. Although, why would you want well, to? But, so Toyota's new CVT is really interesting though, because it's actually got uh, sort of there's there is a gear in there. So yeah, there's a gear for for the first gear launch, and yeah. then it shifts over to the CVT. And they've they I actually they put out a, a press release that goes through it. Um, they really did make a whole bunch of refinements in the the CVT. So I, I haven't I haven't driven a car with that new Toyota CVT in it, but I, it's probably a lot better than the sort of rubber bandiness that we're all imagining. Yeah, well, uh, the one I drove had the six speed manual, which actually has uh, rev matching capability as well. Um, so, you know, if you want to drive quickly and, and you're not quite as, uh, refined with your shift work, um, you know, then, or your clutch work, then, uh, you know, it, it'll help you out a little bit and, you know, get everything matched up as you shift into each gear. Yeah. And given the amount of people that know how to drive a manual, I mean, I think that whatever. yeah, for, you know, for all three or four of us, right. you know, whatever the car can do to sort of help it along and make it seem fun. As long as they keep manuals around. Okay. I'm all right with that. As long as you can shut it off. Can you shut it off? Uh, yes, you can. There is a switch to, to shut it off. Good. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I only had a few minutes to drive it, you know, so I, I left it on just to see, you know, how it performed and it did great. You know, there's no problem at all. Um, yeah. And you can, you can actually, you know, the, the, the hatch is available in SE and XSE trims um, and you can get the manual transmission on either one. So you get choice of CVT or manual with, with either trim level. And the one I drove was the XSE. Well, see, that's good because a lot of times too, you get the manual and you get locked out of the higher trim, which, you know, it's not, it's, it, it's sort of priced as this like loss leader at that point. And so they don't, they don't give it to you in the, the trim you actually want. Subaru does this where you can't get the, the nicer Impreza with the manual. You're stuck. Um, unless you step up to an STI or, yeah, or, or WRX. The, the WRX. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, I had a WRX last week and, uh, it, it had some weirdness going on with the manual where I couldn't, I couldn't quite shift it. Uh, unless I shifted like a punk, I couldn't shift it all that. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know what was up with that. Maybe it was just me not, uh, maybe a bad synchro or something. And it wasn't, it wasn't notchy like that. It was just like, it, it was really responsive to the throttle, almost like it was already blipping the throttle. And I don't know. I, I did eventually sort of come to, to terms with it. And, uh, I, it, that's a car that makes you an aggressive driver. <laughs> yeah it really supports heel and toe shifting and all kinds of stuff and it's got it's got a good bit of power to it so yeah um it's been a good couple of weeks <laughs> <laughs> uh so like what else what was the most i guess what was the most sort of underwhelming thing you drove there? uh let's see um well the um the the new mitsubishi eclipse cross was way better than i expected it to be Mitsubishi's never really drive bad. They just 
Um, I mean, some of them have. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. There, I mean, there is the mirage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, in general, like, I don't know. They, they always drive okay. I just, at least in my mind, I can expect them to, to, to be fairly disciplined. It's just you look around and you're like, okay, guys, when are you going to start trying? Um, yeah. But uh, no, the, the eclipse, the eclipse cross was actually better than I expected it to be. So it was, it was pretty decent. It was, you know, it, it wasn't anything that that's going to get your blood boiling, but um, at it, least it not was, in a particular enthusiast way. <laughs> right. Yeah. But uh, but aside from that, you know, it did fine. You know, it was it was a nice little compact crossover. Um, you know, it was pleasant enough. You know, definitely you know improved interior from the last couple of Mitsubishi's I've driven. Um, so they're they're making progress, and you know, I think uh, hopefully now you know with the guidance of uh, of Nissan and Renault, you know. We'll continue to see some more progress from from Mitsubishi with their new models going forward. Well, yeah, I mean, if there's um, a thing they need, it's investment. And I mean, they know how to build cars, and they they build cars pretty decently to a price, you know. So mm-hmm. I, I think that that it's a really uh, it's sort of a good matchup for them to be part of uh, Nissan Renault uh, and, yep. and see where they can take it. And they've got they've got they put Carlos on that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's he's there. He's chairman, um, and then you know the uh, uh, the if you're gonna if you if you're really considering a mini, you know, just get the mini hardtop. John Cooper works, and you know, don't bother with any other ones. You know, that's that's the one to that's the one to have. I mean, that's that's the true mini, um, the three door hatch. You know, with the John Cooper works package, just go for that. I, I drove that on the track, and it was it was absolutely lovely. I mean, there's something to be said for that classic recipe, right? Like that's yep. it's uh, it's why you try the vanilla ice cream first. <laughs> if they, if they <laughs> can't do that well, they can't do anything else well. Um, yeah, or they're just covering it up with something else. So, yeah, um, no. So the that that one was good. It was it was really nothing that was too terribly disappointing. You know, I mean, I, I tried to stick to the cars that I haven't driven before, you know, so I, I, you know, I've driven, I passed on cars like the Stinger and the Jaguar F-Pace, uh, I tried out the E-Pace, their new small crossover, uh, and the Volvo XC40, both, both very nice, you know, again, very short drives in those, you know, so when I get a chance to spend more time with those, we'll, we'll come back to those, uh, you know, get a, you know, have a longer discussion about those, but overall it was, you know, excellent, uh, day and a half. Um, Oh, the, the new Jetta sedan, uh, was also, uh, quite impressive. It's another, they've gone, you know, unlike last time, the last generation where they did a, a, you know, a dedicated Jetta platform, you know, their, their new, uh, NMC, I think they called it. Um, it was, it was fine, but you know, it was, especially the first couple of years when it had a twist beam axle, it was, it was not particularly impressive, but the new one is on the MQB and uh, drives much, much better and has a much nicer interior than the last Jetta. Yeah. Well, you know, and and the twist beam axle thing is like, it was fine. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think the, I think the bigger issue that with the last Jetta was, was more the interior was cheap. It was very cheap feeling, um, especially for a Volkswagen. You know, like I said, you know, Volkswagens had developed a reputation for having a comparatively premium feeling interior. I mean, certainly both of the, you know, the, the Jetta, the 2010 Jetta wagon we had and the, um, the Passat before that, you know, both felt much more like Audis, you know, and you, know, you, 
it, it would, you know, if you could have swapped, you know, the VW badge for an Audi badge on either one of those, and it would have, you know, would have felt perfectly appropriate. Um, but the, the last generation Jetta, you know, did not feel that way. And this new one is definitely much better. Yeah. I mean, they, they sort of lost their mojo for a little while and then they nearly tanked the company with uh, yeah. trickery. So they've got to, they've got to really uh, get it back together. So I expect more and better Volkswagens for the near future. That's my prediction. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think we can expect some good stuff, you know, and I hopefully, you know, with this new warranty uh, that they have, you know, and you know, you mentioned, you know, the, having different dealers treat you differently. The nice thing about warranty work is you can, you don't have to go to the dealer where you bought it. You can take it to any dealer and have the work done, you know, cause they all get paid by the factory. It doesn't matter who does it. Um, you know, whoever, whoever does the work gets paid. So, you know, um, I think, you know, hopefully the reliability issues uh, that, that I experienced and that many VW owners have experienced in the past are something of the past. Um, so, you know, I, I, I would be, I feel much more comfortable, you know, recommending one of those now than I would have a year ago. Huh? A change of heart. Yeah. <laughs> um, just, well, just don't get the TIG one. Right. Well, you know what? And, and if we want to really delve into some disappointment, we can talk about Edmund's uh, experience with the, the Tesla model three. Um, yeah. Which sounds like they've, they gave it their sort of normal, well-considered uh, test and it came up short in several areas. Yeah. Well, when, you know, for Edmunds, you know, um, like, like uh, consumer reports, you know, when they get uh, long-term review vehicles, they actually go out and buy one. So they, you know, they went, you know, ordered one, paid, paid money for it. Uh, just like consumer reports does. They, they did not get a press loaner from, uh, from Tesla. And, uh, you know, they did this before, previously with the Model S as well. And I think with the X. Um, so they're, you know, three months into uh, their long-term, you know, their, their year-long uh, review of the, uh, the Model 3. And they just published their um, monthly update for April. And, you know, they're having a lot of problems with this car. You know, they spent $56,000 on it. Um, That's not and, as expensive as I thought know, it might be. Well, I mean, that's, you know, towards the, the low end of what you can get right now. I mean, I think the cheapest one you can actually buy right now is 49. Hmm. So that, you know, that's, that's not a whole lot of options on there. Um, you know, and then of course, if you, you know, if you order the, you know, I think since the last time we recorded, they announced the dual motor uh, and performance versions. And, you know, if you go whole hog, you know, get the, the performance dual motor version, um, it's going to cost you like $84,000 which is a little bit more than um, than $35,000. Yeah, where's the $35,000 version that they were promising? Uh, oh. Um, the, yeah, the, don't don't expect to see one of those anytime soon. Well, the answer was like, uh, oh, well, we've got to get, you know, five, you know, five to six months of smooth production of 5,000 cars per month going before we can profitably make that $35,000 one. Uh, so we're going to sell you the expensive one for now. Yeah. Well, Elon Elon has promised that Tesla will be profitable in the third and fourth quarters of this year, and the only way they can even remotely hope to do that is to sell as many that's what I know, was just going to seventy ask. to eighty thousand dollar Model Threes as they can. Oh, I was going to say like, oh, they must be selling um, so, uh, pollution credits. <laughs> uh, well, that too. Um, <laughs> 
but uh, yeah, they'll they'll probably be selling a lot of Zev credits. Uh, but the you know the the high end Model Threes are are the key for them right now. They're going to push those as hard as they can, and they're they're not even going to take any orders for low end versions for the foreseeable probably until the end of the year at the earliest. So here's what I don't and, understand: is like, haven't they managed to make the Model S pr- profitable by now? Uh, no, well, you know, that would require, you know, actually building it right the first time, having it operate reliably once you deliver it to customers so that you're not constantly doing warranty work on it. Um, which so far is something they have not managed to achieve with either the S or the X. Cause like that thing's been around for a while, like, five years. Yeah. So it's, it's at a certain point, you got to know how to make them and you would think so. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, earlier this afternoon, I had a long conversation with Ed Niedermeyer, um, and he's he's working on a story for the Daily Beast that uh, should be out in the next day or so uh, about Tesla. And um, we talked about some of this stuff. Uh, but, you know, basically, you know, Tesla, you know, just has not really been able to come to grips with the whole concept of build it right the first time. You know, if you're if you're going to make money in the car business uh, and and few people make the kinds of margins, you know, that companies like uh, like Apple or Google are are um, comfortable with in their business lines. You know, t- Porsche is about the, the most profitable car maker there is. And, and their margins are about their net margins are about 20 percent. You know, most most car makers are in the single digits, you know, in the anywhere from six to nine percent profit margins. Um, Tesla, you know, has never been profitable on, on building cars. So, you know, but in order to become profitable, you have to build, um, vehicles consistently, um, you know, right the first time, you know, not have to spend a whole lot of money on warranty work on, on rework, you know, on, you know, you've got cars have to come off the line working properly and, you know, ready for delivery to customers, not having to spend, days or weeks going through rework, you know, manual rework to get them right. Um, and, you know, even, even with all the rework, you know, um, we're talking to Ed, you know, he was saying that uh, the figure he's heard from some folks he's talked to at Tesla is something like 90% of the cars, model threes coming off the line are requiring some, some level of rework after they come off the assembly line, which is just, I mean, that's just, not acceptable. You cannot make money doing that no matter, you know, well, I guess if you could, if you, if you got a high enough price for them, you could, but you know, the, the kinds of things that, uh, Edmonds has been seeing on their car, um, you know, they, they've had all, you know, a variety of, uh, electrical glitches, mechanical glitches, like for example, the radio will just randomly turn itself on and crank itself up to maximum volume for no apparent reason. It must be a really good song. I guess. Listen, smoke um, on the som- water's on. <laughs> sometimes the backup camera screen doesn't appear. Uh, the nav screen going haywire, zooming, scrolling, pinching, pixelating all at once. Oh boy, that must be fun to see. See, like these uh, are the things that uh, the legacy, if we want to call it, put that, put that in air quotes, but, but established automakers, I guess. This is why stuff takes a while to get to market. This is why some of the tech seems like it's, you know, not cutting edge. Because it has to not do that stuff, you know, like it has to work in all conditions yeah. and temperatures and for years. Yeah. And, you know, this is something that, you know, Tesla has still not managed to achieve. 
Um, you know, another another issue they had was the one time the car would not shift into drive or reverse or reverse upon startup. Uh, it says the vehicle systems are powering up, shift into drive or reverse after message clears. Wait for it to power. Have to wait for it to power up. Loud click comes from the rear as if a drive shaft is engaging, and the message on the screen goes away, but nothing happens. Um, you know, and then it comes up and says, cannot maintain vehicle power. Car may stop or stop driving or shut down. No shutdowns yet, but keeping an eye out. You know, it's just you know, another one they had, you know, at 170 miles of range, the car displays a regenerative braking limited message. Never figured out what that one was. Um, you know, so, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of, you know, one of, one of the problems with relying on, on software so much to control all this stuff is that you're relying on software that might be buggy and you know tesla the you know even though they ship regular software updates they you know they still have a lot of bugs in their software they they ship software updates frequently because they have to you know most cars work fine for their entire lives with few if, if any software updates during their lifetime and you know tesla is just are un- incapable of doing that you know what i you hate know, i hate software updates because it breaks stuff you have the yeah. unintended consequences. We've got, you know, workstations that run, you know, various versions of, of Avid or uh, the Adobe Creative Suite. And when you update stuff that's unrelated, some, like sometimes you'll update Mac OS, for example. Mm-hmm. Then stuff doesn't work. And you're like, why can't I make a QuickTime? Oh, because <laughs> yeah. the codecs were updated. And right, then, you know, yeah. it's, you know something something seemingly trivial like those codecs. You know, and that, that's why a lot of you know video production uh, shops, you know, they they they'll be running you know um, OS versions that are several versions old, yeah. because they can't risk you know those updates breaking something. Yep, for years, uh, one of the studios I worked at, we we did uh, we had a an Avid that was a um, an online editing machine. So it was a standard def and you, you would go from your offline back in the day, which was heavily compressed. Uh, and you would, you would take your, your tapes and you would re-digitize into the machine with the, the time code that was on the tapes at, you know, uncompressed resolution. You'd color correct on the way in. So that, that Avid, that set of hardware was like, I it was OS nine, nine point, whatever. And that version of Avid never fully ran on OS 10, although they said it did, but it didn't. And so for like a decade, we kept this thing alive <laughs> to, to run our online suite on OS nine. And it's like, it just got to be the point where it was like, you can't even get parts for it. There's like all, we couldn't, we couldn't get the right programs to actually send the shows, uh, you know, digitally or, or stuff, you know, like the, the software just isn't there for an older OS. So, um, you know, those are the things you have to do to, to maintain reliability. And you, you can't always be on the cutting edge. You just break stuff that's critical. Uh, and in a car, I can't imagine. It's, it's not like we missed, you know, the satellite window for uploading the show to PBS. Like in a car, it's like, oh, the brakes don't work, <laughs> for example. Speak, speaking of brakes not working. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, Consumer Reports, you know, they, they tested their uh, Model 3 that they bought. And they had some issues with it, um, particularly with, you know, well, they complained about the ride quality, poor ride quality, which uh, others have also complained about. But they also had issues with their brakes. Um, you know, they said, you know, on the first stop, uh, you know, first 60 mile an hour, 60 mile an hour to zero stop, they um, 
it did about 132, 133 feet, I think, which is roughly around what Tesla quotes. But then on all their subsequent stops, their stopping distance got significantly longer, you know, to over 150 feet. I think, you know, it averaged about 152 feet, which is longer than the stopping distance for a Ford F-150. Uh, which, you know, in a car like that is, is not very good. Uh, you know, and, um, you know, they, they, they declined to recommend the model three because of some of the various issues that they experienced during their, their initial evaluation. And they're going to, since they bought the car, they're going to keep it around for a year and, and continue testing it. Um, but, you know, they, they complained about this. And then of course, Elon Musk being Elon, you know, um, you know, his, this is one of the most thin skinned people you'll ever meet. You know, he does not like criticism at all, um, <clears throat> which we'll get to more in a minute. <laughs> and, you know, he, he said that, you know, no, this is not wrong. This doesn't match the results we've gotten. Um, but actually it, it was comparable to the results that car and driver got when they tested the model three, you know, they had the same kind of issue where they had a short stopping distance initially and then longer after that. And I think, you know, one, one possible explanation, and this is purely speculative on my part, you know, having worked on brake systems for, you know, Sam, you don't know what you're talking years. about. You did, you did uh, conventional car braking systems. You that's right. Tesla you know, with, systems. which have, you know, uh, calipers with brake pads that clamp Phys on no, rotors, physics which are is different in Tesla land. <laughs> nope. Physics is physics. And if anybody should know that it's Elon Musk, who has a degree in physics, not in mechanical engineering. Um, but, uh, you know, one one possible explanation of this, you know, is, you know, one of the things you'll find, you know, on a lot of electrified vehicles because they have regenerative braking, um, you know, which puts less load on the, the friction brakes. A lot of times manufacturers will put, you know, maybe less brake, less friction brake on the car than they otherwise would. You know, it's still enough, you know, to meet the minimum safety requirements, but which are actually, you know, relatively lax. But, um, you know, not as much as they might otherwise do if they were relying only on the friction brakes. So what what possibly happened here is that on the first stop, um, the brakes got very hot. You know, which which, you know, can be the case from 60 miles an hour. Um, and it may have actually glazed the brake pads and the and the rotors, um, in which case what happens, you know, when you're when your brake pads get get too hot, um, you actually get a, a chemical change that occurs on the surface of the brake pad. And the amount of friction that's available decreases pretty significantly. And so what happens is, you know, when you when you do that, you know, next time you hit the brakes, um, even if you let them cool down first, you know, it, because it, there's actually a chemical change happening here, you end up having to apply a lot more force to get the same amount, a lot more pedal force to get the same amount of braking force. And over time, you know, as you know, under normal driving, you know, over time, that surface layer that got glazed will eventually wear off and the braking performance will improve again. You can also fix that by burnishing the brake pads. You know, you go out and you do a series of stops, uh, you know, or decelerations and, and then, you know, letting the brakes cool down and you'll wear off that, that surface glaze. But that, that may be what happened here. But of course, you know, Elon responded, oh, but we're going to fix it with an over the air software update which apparently started rolling out over the weekend and, you know, almost immediately uh, some Model 3 owners, at least one Model 3 owner I saw, you know, started tweeting that, you know, he got the software update and then went out and drove and, you know, the car was pulling one way and the other and doing all kinds of weird stuff. So, 
you know, this again, this is why you have to test this stuff, especially for safety critical systems like brakes. You know, you need to do a lot more testing and validation before you ship software updates. You can't you can't just ship out a software update and expect it to work right away the first time. Yeah, that seems awfully fast, even just working at a breakneck pace. You know, we, we hey, we just we whipped up the software. We It's almost like they changed a few parameters and we're like, yeah, it ought to work. It's just shot yeah. out versus actually testing it and, and seeing so. Uh, not knowing what's going on, I don't want to sort of just just riff too much on it um, and get ourselves in trouble. Although we're probably already there, but uh, I mean, the the Model Three. Uh, say what you will about the the automotive press, but in general, you know, car and drivers certainly they write for enthusiasts, but their testing is fairly robust they're, they'll be willing to show you their numbers they put the numbers in the magazine you can you can even I think you can still look at the testing sheets uh-huh. uh, online so the actual yeah like, all that stuff all that stuff is published right so you say what you will about whatever they do with the numbers but the numbers are there they they have smart guys doing the testing they have designed pretty rigorous regimes they, they're not they're not just sort of half-assing it you know they're, they're not like it's just some guys of the blog. Like they've, they've been at it a while and they've established their credibility. And so they're not going to just throw it away just to ding the Tesla. If the thing doesn't work that well, I, I think too, they, they want to be the first ones to say, this is awesome. If it is, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so they're not going to just ding it to ding it. Um, and, and consumer reports, certainly um, they don't have a reputation as an enthusiast magazine. That's not really who reads them, but, they have solid results over however many decades they've been doing it. Like they, they're a respected outlet for what they do for a reason. And it goes beyond just cars too. You know, you can trust consumer reports for the most part, if you're looking for anything as a consumer and they're not going to throw that away just to have some vendetta against a single company that may or may not be here in a couple of years. You know, like this is not the first automaker consumer reports has seen come and go. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. And of course, you know, Elon, you know, being someone that doesn't like criticism from from any corners, uh, you know, and he he has lashed out at me in the past. Um, you know, that over the past week, you know, he's gone on a, a Twitter rant. You know, basically, he's gone full Donald Trump. <laughs> you know, acquitting, accusing you know all the the media that you know is critical of him of you know. Uh, promulgating fa- fake news and you know he want he talked about creating a website you know where people could rate the credibility of of uh, news outlets you know calling it Pravda which was the old communist newspaper in Russia during the Soviet times um, and you know I mean it's just it's he's being r- absolutely ridiculous but what's even worse is that a lot of his fanboys are you know they're they're very much you know like the um, you know, the, the bro culture, you know, Silicon Valley bro culture. Um, and, you know, we're, what we're seeing now, you know, over the last several days, um, you know, he's he, uh, Elon himself has lashed out at, at uh, several uh, females online, female reporters. And um, his followers on Twitter have really been going all out. You know, it's very much like, you know, a couple of years ago during the whole Gamergate thing and, and, you know, during Me Too. So, you know, we're seeing, you know, these assholes online, you know, 
going on on Twitter and, you know, there was a story that was published on uh, the Daily Beast today uh, by Aaron Beebe, you know, about how um, women are being treated by uh, Elon Musk's followers online. And it's just it's outrageous, you know, and I just want to say that, you know, if you're listening to this and you are one of those people that, you know, is using all kinds of derogatory terms against women uh, like that, just shut the fuck up. You know, wow. Get the hell offline. We don't need you. Uh, but you no, know, the that's, world that's does true. not need you. Like, it's, you know, and, and frankly, you know, if Elon wants to colonize Mars, I think he should start by taking all of you guys to Mars. <laughs> it's this particularly virulent strain of um, boosterism or, or fandom. I don't know exactly what it is. Uh, and I, I don't know where people uh, get so sort of thin skinned when you're, you're putting consumer good out there. Like you're going to, you're going to get criticized, you know, and I know I work in a creative profession. Criticism and critique is part of it. So maybe I'm just more used to it. I, I don't know. Like I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get defensive if, if somebody, you know, points something out that, Hey, you screwed that. I, and we may have a dialogue about it. Yeah. And nothing, but, nothing wrong with dialogue. I mean, I, you know, I've been criticized many times over the years, you know, for things that I've written and I'm always willing to have an intelligent discussion. And, you know, when I'm wrong, you know, um, or if somebody, you know, somebody points out, you know, it shows me, you know, that I've, that I've said something that's incorrect. I'm more than willing to change my views and, and, um, you know, and, and change what I've written, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm in fact incorrect, but, um, you but know, I'm never this, incorrect. <laughs> well, no, I've, I've been wrong on many occasions, you know, no, at least teasing. three or four times. Um, you know, but you know, you don't have to be an asshole about yeah, it. It's, you know, have, have, have an intelligent conversation. You know, you don't need to start, you know, name calling, you know, and I'm not going to repeat the kinds of things that, no, the, that these, these people have been saying. The treatment um, of women you know. online, especially is, is yeah, is it's gross. just, it's, um, it's ridiculous. And I, I, I wish that we weren't, at that, that place, um, culturally it, it's, it's, I don't, I don't understand how you, how you get there. Um, except for I do, you know, and it, it's, there's a lot of different factors. Um, you bring it back to sort of a, the, the car thing too. Like it used to always bug me how Autoblog would do the sort of the girls of the X, Y, Z car show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I vocally, uh, sort of criticized that to, to John Neff. And I, I think I wasn't the only one because at some point they stopped doing it. Cause I was like, this is, we, we should not be doing this. We should not be encouraging automakers uh, sort of following that old convention. It's gross. I, I, I don't know. I have a lot and, more to say mo- about and it. Most, I don't most do automakers, it. you know, have, have moved away from that, you know, at auto shows, you know, moved away from, you know, having, uh, scantily clad yeah. women, you know, um, hanging over their cars. I mean, I, at least in the so, U S I know in, in other markets yeah. and in other cultures, it still goes on. And that's. They've, they've moved away from yeah. it in Europe in particular. Um, I think China, it still happens, but I think even there it's starting to, to become less and less. Yeah. It, it's, it's just, there's, there's still issues within our industry and, um, hopefully we can continue to be more progressive and, <laughs> You know, treat people as people instead of yep. objects. And that's moving on. All right. I think that's we got a little enough heavy this there. week. It's, yeah. Um, 
All right. Are, are we are we good now? We do we want to we want to cover anything else? Or we, we want to just? I I think that's enough for this week. All right. Well, uh, sorry for the long delay. Maybe we'll try to come back uh, at the end of this week too. I know we say this a lot. <laughs> um, I wanted to get a show out, and I know you wanted to get a show out, so we did that, and uh, hopefully we can come back at the end of this week and, and update on uh, what else has uh, been happening over the next uh, few days. And if there's questions, concerns, uh, if you want to tell us to shut up, uh, <laughs> you know where to find us. Uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter and uh, all the different channels, and uh, we'll talk to everybody next week. See ya. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.